there are a lot of choices that face us in our lives if we, as we live here in this world. And sometimes we need to have advice from others as we attempt to make choices that would be in our best interest. We have a brother in our church at home who uh, has been trained and uh, has made a business of choosing correct financial investments for people with financial assets. And sometimes he gets it right and sometimes he gets it wrong, but he, that, that's his whole occupation in life. Figuring out what's the best place to put, put other folks' money. It's a little easier, I guess, to put other folks' money than it is our own, but that's it. So if I ever have any, I'll, I'll uh, ask him to help me uh, put it in the right place. Young people have to choose a career. And I've said many times it's unfortunate that we have to make that choice when we're about 18 or 19 years old. We'd be a lot better equipped to make that choice at 65, but it's a little late in life to do it again. <laughs> so we see a lot of people who get about 40, 45, 50. And they decide I should have gone another direction. I wish I'd chosen another career. And they pursue another path. I'm sort of a case, that, that sort of case, not exactly really, but there was a profound change in my vocational activity at about the age of 50. I was able to retire from uh, the career that pays the bills and, and uh, do something else. So we make choices. And the better advice we get for the choices that we make, the better choices we're equipped to make. But good advice is only as valuable as our willingness to follow it. That's right. Best advice in the world doesn't help a fellow who won't take it. Really, about all good advice will do for the fellow who doesn't take it is give him an additional reason to feel guilty when things don't go well for him. So, I want you to, to make good choices.
I, I, I see a number of folks here who still have to make some very major choices in life. A lot of you haven't chosen a career path yet. Some of you are no longer interested in careers. But uh, all of us have choices to make every day. And I, I would say to you that if you choose a counselor or an advisor, choose one who has wisdom, who has a vast store of knowledge, and who has demonstrated success. I, I stand amazed at the number of people who seek out folks whose lives, whose own lives are disastrous and turn to them for counsel. Uh, <clears throat> don't take financial advice from someone who's bankrupt. Don't take legal advice from a, from a person who's in jail. <clears throat> Don't take health advice from someone who's old, fat, smokes, and obviously has abused himself in life. Uh, I, I don't smoke now. I've got all the rest of that, but. I don't you get the picture? God has all wisdom. God has all knowledge. And God has published a book. Now you can buy a lot of books. But the authors of those books may or may not really be experts in the field that they, that they write upon. God has all knowledge and God has a book. And it's available. So I say to you this morning that the first place to go for counsel is to the book written by God. Now if you go down to the bookstore and come back tomorrow and tell me they didn't have a book there written by God, I, I will tell you that it is true that God is not listed as the author of the book on the bookshelf. But in the contents of the book, we read that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So God wrote it. And we find that God says about his book that it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. That it's profitable. It's good advice. 
it will help you. I'm afraid I've given lots of advice that wasn't profitable to folks. But God's advice is profitable. Amen. Why would you exchange that which is known to be profitable for that which quite often fails to be profitable? Why would we exchange that which is known to be profitable for that which often leads to heartache and to loss and sorrow? Hardly seems reasonable, does it? So as we go to God's Word for counsel, He tells us how to invest something more valuable than our money. Go with me to Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. You're going to see some very basic advice God in His book gives us. about how to handle one of our most precious possessions. The Lord Himself taught where a man's treasure is, there will his heart be also. What's the most important thing you have today? Some of, the, some of the younger folks are going to think about that question and they're going to save my video games. Some of you may say my best friend. Some of you may say my house. But I submit to you this morning that there's something more important than any of those. our affection the feelings of our heart are a very valuable and important possession for each of us and if the feelings of our heart are taken from us and we're left heartbroken and in despair No other possession can replace and repair that. So what do we do with this very valuable possession? The affection of our heart. What do we do with it? Now... Paul gives us some advice from God. He said, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. 
set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. What is your treasure? If it's your natural possessions, your money, your house, your car, your jewelry, the quilt your grandma gave, whatever. If that's your most precious possession, and you worry more about that than you do the affection in your heart for the Lord and for the things of God, you've set yourself up for pain and sorrow. But inasmuch as we set our affection upon heavenly things, we are set for a harvest of good things. But Paul prefaces this instruction by narrowing those to whom it is addressed. He said, if you then be risen with Christ, set your affection on things above. Those are the only people capable of doing that. Those who are risen with Christ. Now what does he mean if you then be risen with Christ? Well, in the preceding chapter, he gives us two ways that we've been raised with Christ. Beginning at verse 12, and in order to get the context, let me read verse 11. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ without spending any time to discuss it, let me just tell you that that, in my view, is talking about the new birth. In verse, 13, verse 12, now, he said, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. Thursday evening, I, I spoke to you a little bit about the importance of dividing, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I, I gave you some words that are used in different ways and stressed or tried to the importance of making the correct application of those words when they're used in their various ways. Baptism is, I don't think I mentioned it, Thursday night, but baptism is another word that is used to talk about different things, and it's important when we read about baptism that we make the correct application of As it is used here, it is not talking about the gospel ordinance, where we go into the water and are immersed as a rite of entrance into the church. It's not that one. Now, I want you to notice how Paul says we are raised in this baptism. I've, uh, I've prematurely, let me insist, 
acquired old man status around a lot of folks at home and they they started treating me like I'm not able to do things anymore. I, I kind of get my feelings hurt about it a little bit. I, my brother Rick was with us recently and preached very capably for us and his last appointment was over at Conway, Arkansas on Sunday evening. My daughter wouldn't let me drive that night. She came down and drove for me because she was afraid Daddy wasn't able to drive that far after a long weekend. I, uh, I wasn't going to let her do it, but my wife said I had to, so. <laughs> so she drove me to the service. Got over there, and those young brethren grabbed my lunchbox, wouldn't let me carry my lunchbox. You know? Yeah. Now, Monday morning when I was out on the farm working, they weren't none of those folks. They let me farm all week, but weekend comes, I'm an old man. And so, so, had a baptism last weekend in a creek. Uh, and, and the pudding wasn't real good. And a bunch of young brethren around there worried about me getting out of the creek. Do you need us to go stand with you? Do you do you need us to help you? Do, you know, I think I can handle it. Well, I got in there and that thing was slick and, and it was poor footing. And I almost wished I'd let somebody come in with me, but... I didn't. And it was okay. I didn't need any help. But, but the point that I'm trying to get to is that when it came time to raise the sister from the water, it was the muscles in my arms that stood her back up. Yeah, you know, boy, and see, that's not as hard as some people think it is. It's really not a job to stand people up after baptism most of the time. It's a lot harder sometimes to get folks under the water if they're prone to, to resist it than it is to get them back up. I have a time or two in my life had to do that twice because I couldn't get them under the first time. They, they you know, put up resistance. But always gotten them up, okay. But folks, worry about that. Little men baptizing big folks, folks, where will you be able to get them up? You understand how that process works. But notice what Paul says about how we are raised in this baptism that's under consideration. He said, you are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God. How does that faith come? It comes by a work God does. This is that fruit of the Spirit faith that God gives us in the new birth. That faith that God gives us in the new birth raises us to a plane of life where we are able to do things that we were not able to do before God gave us that faith. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, Paul tells us that without faith it is impossible to please Him. You and I assembled in this building this morning hoping to worship God in a way that would be pleasing to God. 
We did not come here, I hope, to please each other. I hope you didn't come here to please me. I would like for you to be pleased with my effort, but I didn't come here to please you. First and foremost, I, I come hoping that by some uh, gift of God's grace I might be able to render some small service that would be pleasing to my Heavenly Father. Now I would desire that in that you be proper. And if I thought that it wouldn't be possible for you to be profited by my coming, I would have stayed home. But you are raised from a condition where you are not able to do anything that is pleasing to God. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 verse 9, they that are in the flesh, he means those who are in flesh only, who have not the Spirit of God in them, cannot please God. But you're not in the flesh, he tells the brethren, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of Him that raised Christ up from the dead dwell in you. So... You've been raised by the same power that Jesus was raised by. <clears throat> you all pardon me. Pray for me to try to get my throat to work. We, we're afflicted with a lot of pollen in our community at this time of year, and it it does a number on me sometimes. <clears throat> so Paul says here in Colossians 2 that we are risen with Him through the faith. That definite article, the faith. Of the operation or the work, if you will, of God. The faith comes. By the work of God. And it raises us up. Gives us capacity. <coughs> now then. That's the new birth. Spiritual baptism. If you've experienced that. If that has happened to you. Then you have affections. That need to be placed above. You need to have interest, and your primary interest needs to be in heavenly things. Not on things of this earth, or on the earth. Well, <clears throat> so how do we go about doing that? How do we go about setting our affection on things on the earth? Well, Paul tells us in verse 5, Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. <clears throat> we have uh, in our county uh, an air evac station where medical helicopters 
station. And when there's an emergency, of course, the crew dashes out if the weather's good and flies the helicopter to pick folks up. A few years ago, on a cold winter day, uh, when there had been some wind forecast that didn't really develop, they got a call. Whole crew ran out there, jumped on the helicopter, the pilot fired the thing up, did whatever you have to do to make the helicopter go up, and the thing came all to pieces. He forgot to untie it from the ground. Still, still chained to the anchor. He lost his job, company lost their helicopter, and the patient didn't have anybody to come get them. What happened? He didn't cut his connection to this earth. There are many folks who want to serve the Lord. They want to fly uh, with the saints. They want to fly with the angels. They want to be raised up above this earth without cutting the cord. They don't want to cut their connection to things upon the earth. Paul tells us that the first thing you and I need to do if we're going to set our affection on things above, is we need to mortify our interest in those things here in the world. And he names them. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now those are a lot of big words. Let me break that down just sort of real quick. Sexual sin, violation of the law of God concerning marriage will prevent our being able to set our affection on things above. We must put the lust of the flesh down. We must not allow the lust of the flesh to control our lives. Not even for one moment. Disaster can come into a life in a very short period of time by not following this advice of the Apostle Paul, which came from God. Uncleanness. That's anything that's not pure. Anything that is ungodly. We need to cut it off. Inordinate affection. Inordinate. That's more than appropriate, is what that means. It's alright to have an affection for your job, but keep it in control. It's alright to have an affection for your home, but keep it in control. It's alright to have an affection for recreation. Keep it in control. It's alright to have an affection for the Georgia Bulldogs, but keep it in control. Do not let it govern your life. <clears throat> See what's that? Oh, yeah. I, I knew if I said Bulldogs... I it's alright to have affection for the Florida Gators, but keep it 
under control. I know we got a little division in the crowd. I know we get one and not get the other. Inordinate affection. If you put too much emphasis upon money, you put too much emphasis upon grandchildren, you put too much emphasis upon recreation, you put too much emphasis upon work, that's inordinate affection. And it will prevent your being able to make the correct investment decision with the investment of your affection. You ought to set your affection on things above. And if you have inordinate affection for things that are not above, you run out of affection to place on things in things above. You know, bankers, investment counselors, folks who make their living by investing money for others, always give this piece of investment advice. They'll do it every time. Pay yourself first. You ever heard that one? When you get your paycheck, make sure you save some of it first. Pay yourself first. Now, I'll tell you why they tell you that all the time. The more money you invest with them, the more commission they get, so they, they want to make sure everybody's saving some and they get the handle part of it. <laughs> that unfair? I, I think I'm really kind of about right on with it. Well, I'm going to tell you, you need to be careful that you prioritize your investment. I'm not talking about money. But you need to make sure that the affection of your heart is first set on things above. That needs to come first in every life. And then when there's that connection taken care of, that affection is set, there is time left in our life for natural things that are important and necessary. But if we put anything in nature inordinately above the things of God, we'll run out of affection before we get around to God. Evil concupiscence, that's just evil thinking. And covetousness, that means wanting everything for oneself, which is idolatry. Let's back up to chapter 2. And verse 18. Let no man beguile you of your reward. There is a reward that comes to those who invest well. <clears throat> if you bought Apple stock uh, 10 years ago and have held it, you've been well rewarded for that. If you bought lumber liquidators, uh, I hope you had something else. 
I tried that one a little bit. I got some of it at $80. It got down to 3 but I think it's back to about 30 But, you know, it'll never be worth what I paid for. They got caught putting formaldehyde and flooring in case you don't know about lumber liquidators. They're the ones that had that problem. It's worthless. But, you know, the little bit I had in it, it's not going to hurt anything. Let no man beguile you of your reward. That is, don't let anybody convince you to waste your, your opportunity for reward. In a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Folks who have a better way than God's way and set themselves up as counselors are vainly puffed up by their fleshly mind. And they will cause you to worship things that ought not be worshipped. Don't let them do it. That's all that verse means. Don't go to things of this world and and put your affection on them and think that they're better than the ways of God. Now the opposite of that, Paul describes in verse 19. And not holding the head. The head is Christ. And not holding the head from which all the body now the body here is the church the New Testament church so if we're holding the head we have attachment to the church not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands draweth nourishment we're having nourishment ministry And knit together increaseth with the increase of God. Here's talking about a very real growth. And he's talking about a growth of the church. Not in numbers, but in understanding, in devotion to God, in ability to serve God in a way that's pleasing to God, and in a way that is profitable to the comers thereunto, to those who worship in the church. But notice how Paul describes the body. He said that the whole body is knit together by joints and bands. And it gets nourishment from the head. There, there was a fellow who has worked for me for a long time who has a lot of interesting expressions about 11 o'clock every morning uh, 10.30 on a a, a long morning but 10.30 or 11 o'clock he starts declaring it's lunchtime and uh, if I kindly stick around and watch him and he has to stay at work till noon he'll really begin to suffer 
And he has an expression that he likes to use when he when he thinks I'm pushing him too far before lunchtime. He'll say, My belly thinks my head has been cut off. <laughs> Nothing coming in. Thinks my head has been cut off. Okay? Paul says that if we don't hold the head, we're not connected to Him. We don't get nourishment that flows from the head into all the body by joints and bands. Now is it not true that we have connection from our head naturally to every part of our body? We have nerves. We have bones. We have uh, sinew. We have ligaments and tendons. We have blood vessels that are all connected. That flow to every part of the body. The church, the visible church, is a body that is connected together. And as a body, we draw nourishment from the head, which is Christ. Now, ordinarily, it comes to us through the preaching of the gospel. That's one way it comes. So, uh, the, the, the preacher you might compare to the net. He is the place where the nourishment comes through from the head to the body. And then you have the shoulders, uh, the strength of the body, and the arms of the body. That raw nourishment that comes from Christ, which is the head of the church, but it comes through the preaching of the gospel uh, to those who are strongest and most able to comprehend and to bear the load of the body, the, the shoulder, the arm. But it flows out through the arms to the tips of the fingers who might be of the smaller, weaker members of the body, who have not yet grown to full strength and maturity. And they need the help of the older members of the church in order to draw nourishment from the gospel. You know, we bring our children to church. We expect them to sit and listen and pay attention to the preaching. Uh, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Uh, but uh, we expect that. We hope that they will. But when they get home, they probably need a little explanation of what was said this morning. And if you uh, just go to meeting as parents and grandparents and older members of the church, and you feed on the gospel, and you don't ever go home and, and help the younger ones to understand what the preacher said this morning, then they won't grow. They need to have help to understand that. One of the members of our congregation was at our house two or three weeks ago and had his little boy with him and the little boy had some things he wanted to talk to me about and, and as we visited I, I asked him, uh, he's 11 years old, I said what, what percentage of the preaching do you think you understand? He's being real honest with me. He sat there a minute and thought about it and looked at me and said, I suppose, maybe about 1%. <laughs> That's probably a reasonable estimate. 
for him. He, his attention spans somewhere between 30 seconds and a minute. And, you know, he, uh, he, he twists and squirms a lot. But he loves the Lord. And he's wanting to know. He's trying to find out. But his father and mother are wonderful how to take their children home and work with them and help them to understand what we've talked about. Uh, and, and to read with them in God's Word and, and, and that sort of Little fellas growing and coming along, doing quite well. Uh, I'm very hopeful he's going to make us a good member. He is a member of the church. And I'm, I'm hopeful he's going to make a good member. Uh, but I tell you, he needs to have a little help uh, to be increased with the nourishment that comes uh, in, in the church, to the church. So if you're going to, if you're going to uh, set your affection on things above and profit from that, what you need to do is to cut your connection to this world and attach yourself to the head of the church, in the church, and draw that strength that comes to the church and grow thereby. So set our affection on things above. Now, as we do that, there's a return on our investment. And our affection grows. Our affection grows. About a year ago when we were uh, trying, all of us I guess, trying to decide what to do about service during a pandemic and uh, we we said well at home the, the judgment of the church was that we would continue to meet but we would uh, try to co- keep the congregation size in the building down to uh, our state had a mandated number of 10 and we were going to shoot for that by having just two families there and they were going to sing, and I was going to go and try to preach, and we were going to make that available electronically to everybody else. We had a couple of old sisters, um, 90, just wouldn't stay away. Been going there for years and love us. And we know it's dangerous, and we're in that group that's, you know, most at risk. But, uh, and... Uh, one of them is my mother, and she doesn't have a vehicle. We managed to keep her at home, but <laughs> one of the others has a car. <laughs> so we just saved her a place to sit in the corner because she's going to come anyway. Why is that? Why is that? Well, she's followed these things all these years, and her affection for the church and for the Lord is just so deep. That really, she would say, if it takes my life, that's all right. I'd rather go and lose my life than to stay home. Now, how are you going to answer that one? Boy, you going to say that. Uh, just love her. Bless her heart. Been faithful. And you know, uh, she's raised a good family. And he thinks she's got 22 grandchildren and uh, 20 or 21 
of them are old Baptists. Members of the church. Pretty good, pretty good percentage, I think. There's profit. There's profit. In setting our affection on things you know. I thank you for your good attention. You've been very patient this morning. I appreciate it. God bless you.